Hi, Jim Roddy here from the RSPA with some big news before we start today's episode. Registration is now open for Retail Now 2021, the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. Join RSPA and Retail IT Channel leaders live and in person July 25th through 27th at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. Retail Now will have everything you've come to expect from the RSPA, plus several new features. Also, the RSPA is working closely with the Gaylord and will follow CDC and local guidelines and recommendations to ensure our priority remains the health and safety of attendees. For all the details, visit the Retail Now 2021 website at gorspa.org slash retail now. Hope to see you there, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to a very special episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, our goal is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. And for this episode, we're going to accomplish that through a highly popular format we call Battle of the Channel Stars. Our discussion today will be divided into four segments with separate but related topics. Our two guests will share their perspective on each topic, and then I'll join in on the discussion. And here's where it gets fun. At the end of each segment, I get to award a point to who I believe makes the best case, stated their points most clearly, shared the most compelling anecdotes, things like that. And so the rules are kind of loose, and so I get to be the judge and jury uh, deciding that. And we're going to keep track of the points using the scoreboard. Those watching on our YouTube channel can see behind me the incredible state-of-the-art scoreboard that we have. It's got AI, IoT, LED, solar-powered. I mean, it's just the most amazing scoreboard. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you know, you really want to make sure that you you jump to see it. I got a lot of questions after the first episode of this. People said, is that thing street legal? And the answer is, we think so. Uh, it's just an absolutely fantastic scoreboard. We'll be tracking and keeping track of all the points today. All right, at the end of the episode, whoever earns the most points is declared that episode's gold medalist, while the other participant is a silver medalist. Now, you might say we're going to have a winner and a loser, but to me, there are no losers in the RSPA. We're going to have a gold medalist. We're going to have a silver medalist. And so in all, uh, if, all four, if after four segments, the score is tied, we're going to go into overtime with a bonus question to determine who gets gold and who gets silver. So that's how we play Battle of the Channel Stars. We'll have a meaningful conversation in a fun framework. All right, let's meet our two contestants. First, Jules Kurz is the Director of Operations at Collaborate, a restaurant VAR with headquarters in both Houston and St. Louis. Jules joined Collaborate in 2017 and has worked on our channel for a total of 16 years. Jules has been active in the RSPA, including serving as a panelist at Retail Now 2019 for the RSPA Women in Retail Community Event generational perspectives from a female workforce. Jules, great to have you here today. Good afternoon. Yeah, pleasure to have you here. And you're dialing in from Missouri, is that correct? Yes, Columbia, Missouri. Beautiful, go Tigers, wonderful. Uh, our second guest slash contestant uh, is Sean Buckley. Sean joined Shopify one year ago today uh, as the retail partnerships lead. Prior to that, for five years, he worked for Retail ISV Vend as their director of partner management for the Americas. Now, this isn't the first time Sean and I have collaborated on a podcast. Sean was a regular guest on my Vant of WorldPay pod when we hosted recommended read book review episodes. Sean, it is great to be working with you again. I hope you still remember those book reviews fondly. I do. I do. And I learned a lot from them. And it's good to see you again, Jim. And nice to meet you, Jules. Hello. Yeah, glad we could get uh, everybody together. And Sean is dialing in today uh, from Toronto, where uh, he's been locked down for about a year since we had the RSPA Canadian Community event in there. And you and I hung mm -hmm. out at, at uh, Tim Hortons uh, for yeah. a bit. So, all right, before we begin the battle, I'm hoping that our guests can each give about 30 seconds on where their company fits in the channel so folks know uh, where they're coming from. So, Jules, first tell us a little bit about Collaborate. Uh, well, Collaborate has been around technically since 1953. Um, its most recent um, intervention is, or invention of it, is um, the name Collaborate, which we designed in 2018. We are a retail and hospitality bar in the channel, and we provide um, a total solution package from point of sale, phones, internet, 
camera systems um, and our goals and our mission and really our company culture is extremely focused on the idea that um, off the shelf and customization is not always the best fit for everyone. And we try to highly engage with our customers and serve them in a way that's very creative and flexible. Got it. Great. And the prior name was like Houston Point of Sale or something like that. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. When we moved into that St. Louis market, the word Houston didn't really <laughs> serve us much. And so um, for those of them who are familiar with our company, the last name of our owner is Comcia, which begins with a Q. And the idea that we would collaborate with our customers was a big part of choosing that name and using his initial for it. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, just like, uh, you know, Houston wouldn't work in St. Louis. St. Louis uh, wouldn't exactly yeah, work uh, in no. Houston. Marketing 101 right there. Um, all right, uh, Sean, uh, so I'm guessing everyone listening knows Shopify, but they might not know their channel play. I guess, can you share some details about that? Yeah, so Shopify uh, commerce platform for merchants, and I work in the retail practice at Shopify. So retail for us uh, specifically is our focus on bricks and mortar operations and in-person selling. Um, so yeah, we have a healthy audience or a healthy group of agency partners that are store builders for e-commerce. Um, we've recently in the last year started engaging with that group to provide omni-channel solutions to their merchants. So point of sale as well as online. Uh, also working with um, solutions providers that are bricks and mortar first focus and uh, with our point of sale as well as our omni-channel offering. Uh, we have hardware partners in the space for the hardware uh, aspect of things. And then we have a healthy ecosystem of integrated apps, other ISVs and technology partners as well. Great, fabulous. Thank you for that, uh, both of you. And thanks both for being RSPA uh, members. And before we get going, uh, we did, before we hit record on this, go through a rigorous stretching session. Uh, so neither Jules or uh, Sean would pull a muscle uh, during the battle today. So we're uh, we're gonna be safe about this today. So, all right, so the focus for today's Battle of the Channel Stars is accountability. And so in the first episode, for those who remember, we had a really great video that we kind of broke down and uh, had our guests pull some pieces from that and share their opinions. So I wanted to base our discussion today on a great video, great article about accountability, but honestly, I couldn't find uh, one. Like they were either too broad mm -hmm. or too shallow or just too obvious. Like so many are like, well, who wouldn't behave that way? So let's, over the next you know 45 minutes or so, let's create a great podcast and video about accountability and to up the stakes uh, for Sean and Jules, as we mentioned, Sean's in Toronto, Jules is from Missouri. So this is USA versus Canada to put the two countries against one another. And if somebody's oh, no. thinking, Jim, that's not fair. You're an American, you're gonna lead towards Jules. I say to you, um, I'm in Erie, Pennsylvania. That's pretty close to the US-Canada border. And Erie has a team in the Ontario Hockey League. So I kind of consider myself an unofficial uh, dual citizen of both countries. So, all right, well, let's start the battle. Uh, with uh, our first question here. So this is for uh, the first point. So talking about accountability, for many people in their minds, accountability equals blaming others. And so that shouldn't be the case, but unfortunately that's what a lot of people think. So, you know, they say one person screws up or one group makes a mistake and everybody's pointing fingers at them. So Jules, I'm hoping we can start with you. Can you talk about the importance of starting the quest for organizational accountability with a candid self-assessment of yourself, right? Before you can hold other people accountable, you have to admit where you've fallen short, where you're not currently strong, and then embrace self-improvement. So how important is self-accountability to self-improvement? Um, one of the key tenets to accountability is, can I change what I'm trying to change? And it's not just um, a perspective of the thing you're trying to change, can it be changed, but can I, Jules, change it? And the ability to answer that question is purely in the idea of looking at yourself, looking at your strengths and deciding how you can use those to um, kind of maximize your effort, but then also using those to support the areas of your weakness. And that means knowing those weaknesses. And so um, when we look at this, it's simple things from understanding whether or not somebody's a morning person or an afternoon person. It's not, that's not even a strength versus weakness. It's just knowing which that is to know when they will be best for which task. And so I think that that self-awareness can lead you then to what is the best way I can lead my team and what is the best thing that my team needs from me? Like individually, who are they? And if they can come to me and give me their perspective of that, that oftentimes shares with me things that I didn't even realize about them. 
And so I think that that's one of the biggest part of it is understanding everybody's strengths, weakness, and just characteristic traits. Interesting. Got it. Thank you. Sean, uh, what's your take on this question? Yeah, so I, I looked at it from the leadership lens as well. Um, and uh, the idea of being able to take responsibility for your own behavior and even your own like well-being as an extension of that. Uh, there's many cases where something might go wrong and you need to look for accountability. Um, and if you don't look inwards on yourself and don't ex like take that responsibility as a lead, um, it's more often than not likely that the rest of your team will, will see that. Uh, and they'll, they'll be like, well, you are partially responsible. You have to own that. And if you don't start with yourself, then you're not really commanding um, an honest kind of playing field with your team if you're trying to hold them accountable. So if there's shared accountability, if there's um, something that you're trying to coach into your team from that perspective, if you're trying to give them feedback, will they really apply it if you're not doing it and starting with yourself? Um, probably not. And so uh, self-accountability plays a crucial role there, especially in from like a leadership uh, perspective in my eyes. And if you start with yourself and you look at where you made your own errors and mistakes and you can self-correct that, then you can also lead through example. So um no better way to lead than by example and uh starting with yourself and learning where you can you can look at those errors and honestly admitting it to your team using yourself as that example um i think is a an excellent like transition into self-improvement um and improvement for your team and actually being able to to have them receive the information and the coaching that you might be providing um, because you're doing it honestly with yourself Got it. Starting there. Yeah. My uh, college basketball coach used to say, point the thumb, right? Point it at yourself, not the finger at somebody else. That's kind of where it all starts. And so I guess before I, I'm going to ask you guys a, a follow-up in terms of an example of maybe a time where you did self-reflect or hold yourself accountable and how it impacted you and your team. But I guess I'll, I'll throw myself on the mercy of the court first and share uh, a story of mine. When I was a young manager, I had to manage two groups of writers, editors. This is back in the days at Jameson Publishing, uh, Business Solutions Magazine. So one group sat in one office and one group was like down the hallway around. So they really didn't engage with each other much. One group was not performing very well. The other group was. So I would go to the group of high performers to complain about the group of low performers because they were frustrated at me. Like naturally, I would just get frustrated. But I'm sure everybody listening to this is like, that is not a good idea. And so one time at an interview of one of the individuals in the high performing group, I said, let's talk about areas I can improve. And she said, I can't trust you. And I was like, what? Like I almost thought to myself, look at this face, right? The boy next door. How can you not, uh, how can you not trust me? Uh, but I said like, why do you say that? Like I'm a trustworthy guy. And she said, will you talk about them behind their backs you probably talk about me behind my back. And I was like, no, 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 I, I don't do that. And she said, well, do they know you're talking behind their back? And I was like, well, what could I say? And so the way that I reacted to that was, um, I realized the way that I was going to be able to corral this was I needed an audience. And so if the audience wasn't gonna let me complain to them, then I should put them all on notice. So I brought both groups together and told the one group, here's what I've been doing. I apologize for that. That's poor behavior. And so if you guys ever catch me doing this, you uh, help me knock it off. I'm going to commit to not do it again, but you guys can help me in this. So it was like just kind of throwing it out on the table. And I thought people would, you know, get really angry at me, but people were uh, appreciative to a degree, right? They were like, thank you. It's good to know you've been doing this. Uh, and it helped foster a more uh, positive conversation where I could have a one-on-one -on -one and help that other person instead of there was no help, you know, it was helping me vent uh, and blow off steam, but that's wasn't helping us get closer to the outcome. So I guess I wanted to throw that ugly failure of an example on there and see if either one of you had an example you might uh, want to share. I'll share. Um, my self-awareness is about overthinking. Um, I am a 100% person when I look at projects that I don't like to release something unless I know it's absolutely perfect. And a lot of times that means I'm the obstacle to things moving forward in the fastest way possible. And so um, I've had to learn to be 80%. Um, when I'm trying to design what we're doing, what project we're doing, what automation we're putting into place, um, all the way to the actual implementation of it. Um, I'll get into something very specifically um, 
right now we're trying to redo our, our template of how we do projects in our in our CRM. And um, I keep thinking about all the possibilities that our CRM can do, like everything it could do to make this go automation to, to automate it or just to go smoothly. And I can't focus on just releasing a 80% version that's usable tomorrow instead of a 110% usable version in a month. So that's where a lot of times what we're trying to change, the measures we're trying to improve um, can get, um, I guess, <laughs> Suez Canal stuck <laughs> with me in the middle of it to use a very pertinent reference. I am that ship sometimes. All right, so, admitting, yeah. admitting you're the evergreen boat uh, in the Suez Canal is, yes. uh, is a good step. Um, I was going to say, yeah. for people who are listening to this later in 2021, they can they can know when when we're recording this without looking it up. So, uh, Sean, any stories to tell about self self accountability before I award the point? Yeah, we have um, uh, employee feedback surveys for their leads and for their leaders, and uh, it's always a fun time as a lead to take that, unpack it and then present yourself back to the team with that that feedback uh and so for me I, I operate pretty transparently i try to operate as transparent as possible and sometimes uh i'm very curious and i can get curious in in different ways that the market might play out one way or another as we ideate and that can create uncertainty within the team that was feedback that i received and some people don't like that type of working environment some people thrive in it uh but not level setting ahead of time with the team um, and and having them understand that that's the process with which I work and that's why I'm sharing information uh, creates created a bit of uncertainty there. And so I actually looked um, inside the organization. How can I help correct that? What what are the things you can do? And like kind of like what you said in your assessment, uh, Jim, the comment back to me was like commit to always get better. Um, and then there were some bullets underneath of that, but the essential thing was, is I understand where the gap is with how I'm working with you. Um, I am going to uh, commit to get better in how I communicate uncertainty uh, to you. And that was my, the scenario that pops up for me because it had, it was a, a big impactful moment for me, a good learning. Great, fabulous. Yeah, you both gave wonderful answers. I'd love to give you both points, but I can say back in my days at Jameson Publishing, I would do that. Like we had a writer critique meeting where we would vote on things. And I'd be like, I think both of you did great. And people are like, no, you've got to make a call. You cannot cut the baby in half. So uh, Jules, I'm going to give you the point uh, on this. I really liked how you said starting off with this, um, you know, starting with, hey, can I change, right? Like immediately see your role in the problem and the potential uh, solution. So again, I got to award a point to somebody. And so uh, we've adjusted the high tech scoreboard uh, using the technology here uh, to do that. All right. So Sean, this is your chance to uh, get a point back. And so uh, the second topic is the number one reason the tasks aren't completed or goals aren't achieved isn't like somebody chose or there was incompetence or something like that. It's just poor time management. Right, things just get away from people and they don't get to the big things. So, can you talk about the importance of you as a leader or just as a good teammate focusing on the biggest opportunities and helping your team to focus on those as well? Like, how critical is it for you or everyone in the organization to keep asking themselves, Is this the most important thing I could be working on right now and holding others accountable to those priorities? So, Sean, you can go first. Yeah, super critical. Um, I was actually in a meeting earlier this week. And uh, one of the senior leads in the meeting uh, reminded us not to try and do too much in the project because um, if it gets too big, we might sh like fail to ship anything of impact there. Um, and so uh, for us and for, for um, my team, we look at what is the impact of the work that we're doing in the time blocks that we're doing it? Is it high impact? Um, there's always work for us to do. Uh, we can always create projects. There's there's so much work for us to be able to find and to to be able to um, to keep us busy. But busy work isn't necessarily impactful work. So we can have project A, we can have project B. Both of them can create a big time suck for us and and uh, even scope creep along that time. Um, but maybe if we spend 100% of our time on project C. Project C is what we should um, uh, be focusing on because that has the majority uh, impact for what our, our big rocks are, our North Star is, our, our short-term KPIs, or even maybe qualitative impact that we, we don't necessarily measure. 
Um, so we're always looking back towards uh, that that concept of impact and how our time blocks are are used to um, to move it forward. And you mentioned uh, rocks. Can you define? Oh, can you define for our audience rocks? Uh, what you mean by those? Like a big rock. Um, that's something yeah. that's that's uh, a big mover um, for uh, for maybe our business unit or the organization as a whole. So something uh, that we would set that is not an easy task to achieve. Uh, something that might require multiple projects, multiple vectors of of work to help move it. Uh, but something that if we do move has uh, a very large impact, especially in whatever time frame we're, we're working with it. So usually a big rock might be uh, an H1 or a full year type of thing. Um, and that's where uh, working towards projects that have impact and time management that has impact towards moving that um, is valuable for us. Super. Thank you. All right, Jules, uh, your turn. Um, so prioritization is the key word for us this year at Collaborate, like just honestly um we over the course of COVID, had the opportunity to um again work on the automation of our slas and so we talk about priority we talk about impact and urgency um in regards to granular things like just a particular service ticket but then also um, from a large perspective about how we allocate our resources on a daily basis whether that be labor or it be um you know, simple things like our our fleet vehicles. Um, and so as we look at these different pieces, we understand that um, the prior prioritization needle is constantly changing, or even that that point of prioritization is a constant movement. In any given moment, something could pop up because we are a customer service custom, um, company for clients who are open all day, every day, we understand that something could shift us literally in the middle of one of our work days. Um, and it could be something that shifts everything across the entire team, or it could be something that just shifts it for one person. So um, those prioritizations are really, really important to maintain so that you care for the people that um, you know are your clients. But the other piece of that is also understanding that blocking out chunks of time are really, really helpful and respecting, respecting those block chunks of time um, if we have something where we're asking an employee to get better educated about a new product, we want to make sure that we block out that time and that time does have priority and that we're not abusing that and we're not disrespecting it. But at the same time, also understanding that certainly if we have a client who <laughs> recent Texas weather, you know, um, has really done some numbers on things. If we have a client that goes down, that that becomes a priority. So the balance of those two things are extremely important, and there is a certain level of respect that comes with each of them. Got it. Good, good points for both of you. It's funny. Uh, Sean mentioned rocks. Jules mentioned blocks. Right about blocking out time, and both of those <laughs> are, are super effective. One tactic I'd like to share uh, with our listeners that I've seen is um, so there are different meetings you know that you have in order to sync up and make sure everybody's on the same page, and to check in on what are your annual goals, what are the personal goals, what are the quarterly goals, things of that nature. And too many times people set those big goals, and then there's no mechanism to check back in for it. So making sure that you have some sort of a check-in meeting, whatever the mechanism is, whether it's weekly, monthly bi-monthly, you know, quarterly, whatever it is, make sure you have some sort of check-in, but then also make sure that you have the notes from the prior meeting that when people say, I commit to do this by whenever, you can go back through and say to them, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? So that way, if somebody says, I forgot, they didn't come back and get it. But then if somebody says, well, I didn't do it because here's what the priority was, then you get to have more of a priorities conversation. So to me, if you don't have a tool like that, you'll have all sorts of aspirations, but you won't actually get the results that you want. And so uh, I think it's from the book, actually, Execution. It says execution is the missing link between aspirations and results. So if you want to have those rocks, you've got to block out the time uh, in order to do it. So uh, I guess before I award a point, anybody want to weigh in on uh, what I just said there about some of those tactics or techniques? Uh, I'll just I, add I think... uh, Sean first, then Jules, please. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I think that 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 type of um, like time management, project management, making sure that that you are checking in and you're course correcting um, where where you need to be if you're tackling, say, a big rock or a, a north star metric. Um, makes a lot of sense and it also makes sense 
uh, in understanding when you maybe should stop a project or do a rapid course correction, um, making sure that you don't you don't go uh, down a rabbit hole that isn't productive towards what you're trying to achieve. And that's something that actually I've experienced myself where we we look and we've done a lot of work and then it doesn't make sense anymore. Things have changed in the market and we actually have to, to stop that project. We take the learnings, we document it, and then um, we move on. So, Yeah, to quote my basketball coach, a lot of activity with no productivity, right? That's how, uh, unfortunately, he described most of my career. Uh, Jules, uh, <laughs> which, uh, what would be your, uh, your take on this topic? You get the last word before we start a workshop. Um, actionable items, starting off meetings with those actionable items that were at the end of your last meeting is probably one of the best ways that we hold each other accountable. Um, when we walk out of, especially, you know, those marathon meetings that are so, so long and you're trying to remember even what at the beginning of the meeting you discussed and what you're responsible for. So reflecting back, first off, walking out of the meeting with the list very clearly defined of actual items, but then also reflecting back on them at the beginning of the next one, um, giving feedback of what Sean was mentioning, giving feedback of where you are, just to make sure that we're all on the same page or just that we're on the right track and that the end result is going to be what we actually need across the team and not just one person's vision. Great, wonderful. Again, super answers for uh, both of you. A lot of good nuggets to take away from there. I'm going to give Sean the point uh, on this one because I think he had uh, where he started off and saying, always asking the question, is this high impact? Not just is it on my schedule, right? Is it something that's on my to-do list, but is it high impact? And then those rocks are really something that are helpful as well to distinguish those important tasks from your other ones. So, all right. So this is going to be our halftime break, an opportunity for Jules and Sean to make uh, halftime adjustments and an uh, opportunity for our listeners to uh, pause and let you know uh, that we'll uh, take an opportunity here to thank our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star and Shift 4 Payments. Our gold sponsors are Heartland and ScanSource. Uh, also want to let our listeners and viewers know an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. Annual sponsorships for VARS start at just $250. That's U.S., Sean. Uh, for a year, for that uh, covers an entire year and dozens of high-value services, including access to a legal advisor, security advisor, VAR and ISE business advisor, e-learning programs through the RSP Academy, discounts on business services, and a college scholarship program for the families of RSP members. Vendors and software developers benefit from an RSP membership as well through introductions to VAR and ISV members and by showcasing their solutions through the exclusive RSP Solutions Center. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, Email membership at gorspa.org. Finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2021. That's July 25th through 27th in Nashville. Retail Now is where the industry meets. And before we hit record, uh, the three of us were talking about how excited we are uh, to be able to attend Retail Now that's on track to take place in person. You know, we always come up with a tagline for the event this year, and it's almost like now featuring people in 3D, right? Because we've just been used to seeing everybody <laughs> right on flat screen. So, um, <laughs> all right, good. So that's an uh, opportunity for you to pause, uh, refresh yourself. So let's jump in, Jules. Hope you can answer this question first. And I'm going to introduce this question by first stating that the word obviating is a funny word and an important principle. It's O-B-V-I-A-T-E, obviate. So that means to anticipate a problem uh, prior to it, for it occurring and then taking action per, to prevent it from happening. So the simplest example is you get up in the morning, you look out the window, you see that there are dark clouds and you say, I'm gonna grab an umbrella or a jacket so I don't get wet. That is obviating. But now how does that fit in with accountability? So to hold yourself and others accountable, you have to obviate because you'll, you'll achieve your results uh, way faster if you anticipate and prevent the most likely roadblocks to that success. So, Jules, starting with you first, what's your take on obviating? And feel free to share your thoughts and add any examples about obviating. Obviating is my jam because I'm an overthinker, as I mentioned earlier, like probably too much, but um, anticipating where the problems will come from. Again, one of the five big tenets about accountability is um, the last one is can can the accountability measure be gamed? Can it be cheated? Can Where are the fail points of it? Um, and so when I start to look at things, I look at every single corner of it. Um, 
And I think that having somebody in your organization who does that, who looks at the small pictures, of course you need somebody who looks at your big pictures and um, somebody who looks at those smaller pieces, those smaller um, pictures, but who's also risk averse. I think that's a big part of it. And I think a lot of um, small business entrepreneurs, both our clients and the other folks in the, um, in the channel are, are probably entrepreneur types that are less risk averse than, than I am personally. And I think that, that risk aversion is where um, obviating comes into place or what are the things that can go wrong? What are the resources that are finite that we could exhaust? Um, what are the consequences of failure? What are the consequences of success? Um, and making sure as you move forward in that, that you're keeping those in your mind's eye so that decisions revolve around that um, granular and big picture. Great, and yeah, just so folks aren't confused, obviating doesn't mean that you're some super negative person. Everything's gonna go bad, it's gonna be <laughs> terrible, but at the same point, it's not like optimistic, like I'm sure everything's gonna work out if we just try our best, that kind of thing. So I, I like how you stated that. Uh, Joel, Sean, uh, what's your take on obviating and what Joel said? Yeah, absolutely love it. I think it's one of the best things you can practice um, as a team, especially from a, a planning um, and like a strategic perspective. Uh, so we do it all the time when we're looking at projects or when we're looking at potential partnerships or even just observing what's happening in the market uh, relative to us. Uh, we We joke that okay, it's time to play chess, not checkers with this one. So we, we look at it because it's not so straightforward. So we have to obviate to understand um, how different scenarios might play out. And it's actually an exercise I love to do. Uh, and it, I, it's not because I'm pessimistic, but it is because I'm curious. <laughs> so I'm looking to try and understand where things might go wrong more often than where they might go right. But if you have a practice like this and say you, you're coming up against a, a a new like business development, new partnership uh, type of meeting. Um, and you you hope there's an ideal outcome to it, uh, but you you plan for what um, a non-ideal response might be and how you can react to that. That meeting, when you do that, that meeting goes um, a lot smoother and it, it it has better outcomes than when you might like wing it if you, if I <laughs> go there. So um, I, I honestly, it's something we practice and I, I Think it's a very uh, um, important thing to do as a team. Um, I want from to follow an accountability. Up on a, oh, yeah, yeah. I want to follow up on something you said, Sean, and then Jules. So first, Sean, yeah. you mentioned about obviating with partnerships. Can you, without yeah. divulging any names or company secrets, like how do you obviate on a partnership? Because that could go a zillion different directions. Yeah. So if we're if we're ideating on why, like the why behind uh, the partnership. So um, what is the uh, the, for, for me, it's what is the unique thing from a merchant's perspective that this partnership is going to provide um, for them. Uh, so whether it's an, a technology partnership where there's a joint, joint solution at play, um, if it's a partnership with one of our agency partners from a, a channel perspective, um, it's, it's what, is, what is unique for that merchant. And we might have an idea of what that is, but does the partner have the same idea? So when we come to the table, if they see something that's totally disaligned with our values, with our approach, our mission, um, or it might be aligned with that, but the actual solution is completely different than we ideated it, and it's not necessarily a good fit, um, what they're bringing to the table, then how do we, how do we, where do we take the meeting from there? And how do we make sure that there might be a positive outcome? Because maybe there's a third path that we didn't see, but if we're saying, okay, this is the ideal outcome, this is maybe a, a bad outcome, and how do we, we circle that back into, um, a constructive conversation and uh, that happens uh, not a lot but it does happen so yeah yeah don't walk in assuming like I'm sure there's gonna be perfect alignment between our two organizations and our cultures you have to obviate and say what questions do we need to ask what documents do we need what things do we need to understand and get out on the table to ensure that it actually is aligned or it's not aligned and if it's not then we can talk about where it might not be a fit and, and go from there. So thank you for that. And then uh, Jules, you had mentioned about, you wanna make sure that uh, the system is being gamed or cheated, again, without naming names, but like what are examples at resellers that you run into where somebody might try to game a system um, when you're planning it out? Um, so, I mean, the, the point of a lot of point of sale systems is purely that it provides the ability for a restaurant or um, retail store to to secure themselves from somebody 
stealing. And so the way that we program things, the way that we even implement them, basic, you know, network security, that all goes towards meeting that goal of security. And um, as we have moved into the SaaS world of selling, it's been interesting to watch our resellers then try a little bit to game our system of, um, okay, if it's really a subscription product, I can hold off until the absolute last minute um, to paying this either monthly fee or you know even paying the fee outside of the mechanisms for payment um like um you know being part of their credit card processing and and we find that i understanding that they're trying to do cost savings right we find that they have little mechanisms little ways that they they want to save those extra pennies and, and dollars um from even us and so we have to think about what are we not showing them in value that makes this worth it to them and so every single time we implement a system we want to know what are your goals with the system what were you not happy with in your previous system or if it's a new client what do you need out of your system that's most important to you if we can show those values and we can predict what they will absolutely need then they will they will find us to be that partner that they really want to work with and we won't have to worry so much about how could they game it or if or are they gaming it? Got it. Wonderful. Super examples. Jules, I'm going to give you the point on this. Let me give you the point before uh, before I forget. And I'll tell you why. Again, both of you made uh, outstanding points here. Um, but one, just the core question of what could possibly go wrong. Right? Like that is the core question about obviating. Whenever you're planning down a path before everybody leaves the room, you need to ask yourself that question. Also, you mentioned about the entire point of sale industry is based on obviating. And so uh, I grabbed the book off my shelf. And for those who are watching on YouTube, it's called not exactly a 19 or a 2021 title, wherever <laughs> men trade, right? Uh, couldn't be uh, less gender helpful, um, but it's called, uh, the subtitle is The Romance of the Cash Register, right? And so what this book talks about is the, re and you're thinking, wow, romantic cash registers. Um, the reason why uh, a cash register came to exist was the shop owner wanted to leave the shop and they obviated that if I just leave all the cash lying here in a box, it's going to get stolen from me. So I need something to be able to track it. And so the the root of the point of sale system is in obviating. So again, Jules, uh, because you said what could possibly go wrong, and you motivated me to grab uh, the romance of the cash register <laughs> off my off my bookshelf. Uh, you get a point for that. Um, I've been quoting basketball coaches. I'll quote my wife's uh, obstetrician uh, for uh, this to wrap up uh, obviating. You're thinking, where is this going to go? Uh, but she said during, the, uh, during when my wife was with her daughter, you know, my wife was concerned and nervous about things. And so some people would say, don't worry, don't worry. And her OB said, a little neurosis never killed anybody. So that's what I say to everybody in the business world as well. A little neurosis never killed anybody. There's nothing wrong with taking time to obviate and not just assuming everything's gonna go great. All right, we're heading into the fourth quarter. Let's see if Sean can make the comeback here. He's gonna start off uh, with the first response. I know I overemphasize the competitive nature of it, but I probably gotta get back <laughs> into coaching. Um, so the last point on accountability, and to me, it's a big one. So the importance of conducting a failure analysis, right? We all make mistakes, right? The three of us, everybody listening to this, we all make mistakes, but we don't all learn from our mistakes. And learnings come from conducting a thorough, honest, and candid failure analysis. And so you have to figure out, number one, what happened? And then number two, how can we ensure, how can I ensure that, I want, that it won't happen again? So Sean, tell me your thoughts on achieving accountability by conducting a candid failure analysis. Yeah, I, I, when I hear the question, I think, um, can you imagine undertaking a project failing and then like letting history repeat itself. And so for me, it's like, it doesn't sound like a good business practice. It doesn't sound like good practice at all. Um, and when I think failure analysis, I also think additional work. And if it's coming off the back of a failure, it's something that to retro that uh, project or that work, it probably uncomfortable. Um, so it might not be something that you're like overly motivated to do, but the benefits far outweigh uh, the additional work and maybe the lack of motivation to, to look back at the failure. Um, from uncovering accountability, we talked earlier about why accountability is important. So like just running through the practice of that accountability practice and, and the benefits that come uh, on the back of that, that's one thing. But the other thing is that um, you don't let history repeat itself. By looking at that failure analysis, you learn from what went wrong 
and then you know where to course correct in the future. And that's not just beneficial to you, but it might be beneficial to the team that you're training up underneath of you uh, or to people that might be uh, in your role in the future. So say you move on into another role in the organization, is it fair to have an experience like that um, and then not document it and have it shared for the next leader in that position? Uh, or even outside of your team in the organization, perhaps somebody is working on something similar and it can help speed them up if they understood where uh, they should turn right when they they were really looking to turn left or something along those lines. So um, it just sounds, failure analysis is just like, like good business practice in general, um, even if it's additional work that is, is uncomfortable to do um, for those reasons, that's why I think it's important. Great, thank you. Jules, your take on failure analysis. Um, I guess mine is based on kind of an ROI perspective of it is far more expensive to onboard a new employee, to onboard a new client, um, to do anything new than to try and keep what you currently have. And so if we're keeping what we currently have healthy, if we're critiquing it and, and looking at it very, very carefully along the way, we can most likely a save clients, um, save clients money, and then save ourselves money. And those little bits of money and time and resources really add up. Um, it's one of those things they talk about, okay, um, throwing spaghetti against the walls to see what sticks. Well, it starts to, some of it falls down and you can re-throw it against the wall after you've cooked it a bit longer, but eventually you run out of spaghetti. And so when we talk about um, looking at our failures, we don't want to just what Sean said, keep repeating history and keep doing the same things over and over is I think that's Einstein's theory of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. Is that what it is? Okay, great. Um, and so we just we need to do that. And it's the other parts of failures are where are the ways that we need to protect ourselves going forward, um, not just from additional failure failures, but from from wearing ourselves down from failing. Like we need to see, we need to balance it with some success. And so what can we do to turn this around a little bit so we aren't so um, heartbroken if something doesn't work out properly and turning our failures into successes by turning them into learning lessons um, is a definitely a big morale booster that we go through if we lose a client or we lose an employee. Right, and folks need to get comfortable with the concept of failure in the business world, right? You're not going to go a hundred for a hundred or a thousand for a thousand, and then just accept it as part of the improvement process. Like the, the story that I wanted to share with you and our listeners was, so back in the day, Business Solutions uh, was a magazine and a website. We decided to launch an events division. And so I was the point person for that and had to launch our first ever event in Philadelphia. I went and did all the research and uh, actually reached out to the RSP and got their checklist and tried to cover as much as I could, but just kind of knew going in, there are going to be things that we did the event that afterwards that we were like, oh yeah, like don't do that thing again. And the one that I, I specifically remember, we had at the National Constitution Center in Philly, great venue. We set up, you know, the breakfast where we had a light breakfast and coffee and all that. And then this gorgeous um, theater where the presentations were gonna take place. All right, and so you think this is perfect. Well, everybody, you know, hey, we're time to go in the theater. Everybody starts taking their coffee and the people at the Constitution Center are like, yeah, you can't take food or beverages into the theater. <laughs> and I remember everybody looking at me like, how did you not know that? And I'm like, okay, this is something I'm going to write down. Like, I just didn't, I just assumed that you could, but, you know, we've talked from accountability standpoint. So, but what we did was, you know, I wrote it down. We had a system after every single one of our events where we sent out a survey to all our attendees to get their feedback. Somebody was responsible for compiling that, distributing to the team. We then got together as a team. Everybody at the event was responsible for taking notes to say what went well, what could we be doing better? And of course, everybody had at the top of their list, like you got to be able to take coffee and for the education session. Like <laughs> I know, like completely my fault. And so we never did it again, but in part because then we implemented into a checklist that said, check to make sure you're able to do these things. And after every single event, we had that repeatable process. By the time we got six or seven events in, the feedback we were getting was stellar. The time it took us to produce the events was way, way less. And people would say, you guys are experts at this. Like, who did you learn from? And we're like, well, our mistakes and just coming up with this methodical uh, system there. So um, 
but you've got to at first become comfortable with failures, right? You can't say failure is a bad thing or everybody like, no, I thought everybody did great. Everything's wonderful sitting around that meeting. That is not uh, helpful at all. So I guess either one of you want to weigh in on, I guess, that whole concept of getting your team comfortable uh, with failure. Um, I think if you are comfortable with failure, and actually, I, I guess I wouldn't um, agree that you should be comfortable with it. You should be accepting of it, um, but not necessarily comfortable with it. Um, I think the biggest part of accepting failure is also knowing that there's something else to try. And I think as leaders, that's probably the most important thing that I can bring to my team is we see this isn't working, but don't worry, we have other things that we can try or even soliciting, what else should we try? What else, what other ideas do we have? And um, I think that's the biggest way to get them um, accepting of failure. But the other piece of it just being, um, I guess, understanding not necessarily why the failure happened, but what were our reactions along the way? Was it to dismiss it? Could we have prevented it earlier on? Could we have pivoted earlier on? Um, and if we are not trying to cover up those failures and we're recognizing them in the moment they happen or, or quickly after they happen, we can pivot much faster and save ourselves or our clients a lot of pain. Yeah, should we have obviated this? And I like your clarification. Yes. <laughs> Get comfortable with talking about failures, right? And that if somebody fails at something, they're not going to get fired, right? They can admit uh, the right. failure and so you can improve. Uh, Sean, uh, any last words on this before I award the points? See if you can send this in overtime. Yeah. Um, so either accepting or being comfortable with failure. Uh, I think one thing that I keep in my mind is that uh, I have yet to see or experience anything that is uh, working 100%, 100% of the time. So failure seems inevitable at some point in time, whether it's small or large um, or whatever it is in that range. And so being able to accept that and then plan for that perhaps uh, as a team makes you stronger because you can pivot to iterate on what can fix the failure, um, how to improve the failure. Uh, if you're willing to, to not let the failure crush you and essentially like take the team off the rails. Um, so I think that's one point that that is important is just to understand that uh, it is inevitable. It will happen. It might be really small. It might be big. Um, but if you're you're able to accept that and then learn to iterate on top of it, then you're set up for success moving forward. Fantastic. And you mentioned one point. Speaking of one point, I'm going to give you the point uh, for this uh, fourth quarter. And part of the reason I'm doing it, and I think Jules, you quoted uh, Sean on it, was it's inexcusable to repeat an error. Right. One of my favorite mm -hmm. quotes is expect the unexpected, not the self-inflicted. Right. If something happened before, you know, it's first time shame on them. But if you're ready for it, you know, then it's if it happens again, it is uh, certainly second time shame on me. So. All right. So, again, we don't do ties here on Battle of the Channel Stars. So we're going into overtime. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a great accountability quote with you. And you have to guess from four options who said it. And so, Jules, since you scored the first point, you get to answer first. Um, and again, Sean, you need to provide a different answer or else we could just be here all night if you're copying. All right. So here's the quote. All right. Then I'll give you the four choices. The proactive approach to a mistake is to acknowledge it instantly, correct it, and learn from it. This literally turns failure into a success. Was that said by A, Ryan Holiday, B, Stephen Covey, C, Jim Rohn, or D, RSPHO Whistler Award winner, Mark Olson. Again, the quote, the proactive approach to a mistake is to acknowledge it instantly, correct it, and learn from it. This literally turns failure into a success. Jules, what is your answer? I'm going to go with Mark. I'll give him some credit. All right. Jules is uh, saying Mark Olson. So, uh, Sean, who are you going to go with? Ryan Holiday, Stephen I'll, Covey, or Jim Rohn? I'll go with A. I will go on the other end of the spectrum there. So. <laughs> All right. The correct answer was B, Stephen Covey. All right, we're moving to double overtime. Oh, no. All right, so this quote is, uh, and Sean, you get to go first on this. We must sure. all suffer from one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. Was that Ryan Holiday, Stephen Covey, Jim Rohn, or former RSP board member and Hall of Famer B.J. Maynard? Again, the quote. We must all suffer from one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs ounces while regret 
weighs tons. Was it Holiday, Covey, Roan, or Maynard? Sean? I am going to go with Holiday this time. Going with Ryan Holiday. Jules, yeah. uh, so you have to go with either Covey, Roan, or Maynard. I'm going to go with Roan just because you did not say that in a Southern enough, uh, accent for that to have been BJ. <laughs> I know BJ. That was not nearly Southern enough to be him. Yeah, so would, I'm going to go with Roan. It'd be more gentlemanly <laughs> and it'd have some y'alls in Yo, it. Oh, yes. Jules, you're correct. Mm -hmm. It was Jim Roan. <laughs> Yay. So Jules, congratulations. In double overtime, uh, you win this <laughs> episode of Battle, Battle of the Channel Stars. Uh, Sean, your reaction first to... Uh, to being the silver medalist uh, before we let Jules have the last word. Oh, I feel honored to lose to Jules today because uh, <laughs> she kicked butt at her answers and I actually learned a lot. And so I appreciate um, uh, being here and, and the RSPA for facilitating this and yourself, Jim. And, and uh, I do like on the scoreboard how I was blue and then Team USA was red. It did uh, an inverse of the color scheme there. It's something I picked up on on the high-tech scoreboard, and, and I look forward to hopefully uh, coming back and battling again. So, You know, I, if I was better at obviating, I would have thought all the way through before I, uh, before I printed it up. And I have to say, you're much more magnanimous uh, than the silver medalist of our first battle of Channel Stars, whose first reaction was, I demand a recount. So uh, I really oh. appreciate that. Uh, Jules, uh, your final words uh, on uh, today's session. Um, there's, I, I love that I'm able to write down some, even standing here being the person to, um, you know, speak and, and give my thoughts. I love being able to write down all of the suggestions I hear from both of you, um, and even things that pop up into my own head. So, um, I thank you for the opportunity and, um, USA, 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 <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I don't <laughs> But you know what? It's an honor to have the USA chanted in uh, in your honor. So maybe we'll dub in some uh, some of the USA chants. I was going to say back from the 1980 Olympics uh, when the USA beat the Russians, but you guys weren't alive in 1980 to experience that. So, uh, well, well, some fabulous. Of us <laughs> yeah, it was small, but yeah. Uh, so to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's discussion and fierce competition. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSP YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate it, or, uh, rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy, the more stars, the better. The stars and stripes, the better. Uh, if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at GoRSPA.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Sean Buckley and Jules Kurz for sharing their wisdom with us today. That was fantastic stuff. That was a fun competition. And just like both of you said, a lot of good nuggets of wisdom shared there. Thanks also to RSP Marcom manager Chris Sarnoff for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody. Bye.